Hey everybody, Jimmy Warren. Welcome to Guitar Talking, Guitar Talk TV. Got a brand new edition for you that you're absolutely going to love. You know, several decades back, a band from Kentucky hit the scene with songs like Dumas Walker and Keep Your Hands to Yourself. A great band, a fun band. They wrote amazing songs. They're extremely talented musicians. And today we have the founder of the band and one of the guitarists, Greg Martin, joining us on Guitar Talk. Now, this was a really great conversation. I think that you're absolutely going to enjoy it. So, do yourself a favor, have a seat, put your feet up, get a nice cool beverage, and enjoy this conversation with Greg Martin from the Kentucky Headhunters right here on Guitar Talk. Hello, Jimmy Warren. How are you, Greg? <laughs> I'm okay. Am I okay here? I'm, I've got I have a light that's above me and it kind of washes things out. Can you see me okay? I can. I mean, I can I can move things around a bit if I have to. I've got to get a little better at this stuff. I will eventually. <laughs> well, you, you've managed to have a, a, a pretty damn long career without having to worry about it. So I don't think I'd worry about it right now. No, man. I, but, you know, it, it's kind of good to get back, you know, try to keep up with some things and i've got uh you know my buddy boone frog at you know boone from otis i do he taught me a whole lot actually yeah you know i'm learning slowly <laughs> well you'd be surprised you know i i've I, I don't know i've done i did my other show for seven years and this one for three seasons mm -hmm. and you'd be surprised how many people you know i might get one or two out of an entire year that you know, have, you know, a good understanding of, of the lighting and the camera and all that kind of stuff, but it's not what you do. You know what I mean? You, you know, you play rock and roll and yeah, you know, in, in DJ music. So, you know, who cares? Right. Right. I, I actually, we do a live stream from here, but we do it in a different location and I can't really do it how Boone does it because the camera's too far away. Yeah. You know, uh, but I will eventually get better at this, you know, and have a, I mean, as you can see, I've got a bunch of, there's a bunch of guitars in the back. Well, there's a few oh, yeah. yeah. There's a few things here, but they're kind of scattered all over this room. It's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. So anyway. It, uh, was probably a, a lifetime of yeah. collecting in that. Are you a guy that when you get something, you keep it forever? Well, yes and no. There's a lot of guitars that got away that I wish I'd kept. Yeah. And um, unfortunately, there's a few I'd like to like to get back, but I, I didn't. We, I was talking earlier to some friends at a Mexican restaurant. I told you I had to get together some friends earlier, and we were just saying, well, there's guitars we'd love to have, but we never took the serial numbers down, you know? Oh, yeah. I mean, high school, I had a... Uh, I was lucky enough to have like a 1955-56 Gretsch Silverjet. Oh, I had yeah. all special in high school. And then when I graduated, I got a 1972 Les Paul Custom. And, you know, I've been lucky that way. And Richard, same way, you know, my partner in the Headhunters, he, uh, he's had some nice guitars over the years. But sometimes you just, you know, when you're younger, you make some really bad decisions on stuff. You don't. You don't realize that when you get my age, you start thinking, now you're a young man. How old are you? Are you? 57. 57. Well, you're 
you're you're behind me a bit, but you're you're old enough to understand this. Uh, you you don't realize that you're going to be sentimental about some of these things, mm-hmm. like the guitar I got for graduation in '72. I wish I still had it. You know, but it's not. Yeah. No, have no idea where it's at now. Have no clue. I I came to a time in my life uh, after you know playing for for uh, you know a couple of decades. Yeah. Where I got out of it altogether, and I got rid of everything. Did you? Yeah, it was it was a it was the stupidest thing I ever did. I mean, one one of the things. There's I'm a little. There's a long way. I'm looking behind you now. Evidently, you made another decision to get back into it. <laughs> I, I did. I, I mean, I've 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 got a lot more today than than I ever had previously by any means, but. Uh, but it was a crazy thing because I had some stuff like what you were saying that I really yeah. wish that I still had. And like you, you know, I never kept track of serial numbers and things like that. You know, now when I get a guitar, I, I pay attention to that stuff, but yeah, I Absolutely. never did before. Yeah. yeah. Where are you, where are you, where are you at now? I, I'm right outside of Chicago, a little bit South oh, of right. Chicago. South of Chicago. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. All right. Yeah. Now, yeah, I know we're not the interview. Is it start? Is it interview actually started? Oh, it started. Oh, as soon as, as soon as we started. It's not talking. an interview. It's really a conversation. Greg. Oh, that's <laughs> fine. That's great. Yeah. That's great. I, 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 I try not to, I, I try not to, to treat it like an interview because it seems like I get so much farther and it's so much better when it's just a conversation, natural conversation. Well, you've already got more information out of me by doing good. So. There you go. We got talking about guitars that should have never got away. You know, right, right. Well, another thing that I noticed, and if you don't mind me just focusing on your backdrop, there is: sure. are those CDs or is that vinyl? Oh yeah, I've got. There are. <laughs> there's there's a wall, this way is full of CDs and shells. This is a big long roll of CD. Um, I can't remember. I, I had a friend over here the other day helping me clean the place and he thinks i think he said it was 13 or 14 000 cds here <laughs> wow well now yeah, we- i wish i uh, yeah before we before we uh get off i'll i'll i'll, I'll show you kind of what what's around here uh we're going to turn this into a small studio eventually yeah. to do radio production and do some overdubs for people guitar overdubs and things like that but yeah, no, that's my some people buy books. I yeah. buy music. I got albums and CDs, you know? Yeah. So do you do your radio show from, from your home in, in that studio? Not, or? not yet. I've been, I've been doing the radio show. Actually, my cat just showed up, by the way. Yeah. So that's another thing you get to contend with. My big fat Tom cat. He's here. Um, so, no, I've been I've been doing the radio show from D93 WDNS uh, for 20 years, over 20 years now. And wow. I actually started another station in 97 uh, WC what was it? We called it the Big Dog. That's the only thing I remember. Uh, CVK, I believe. And uh it I did that about two and a half years there. So I've done radio about very close to 23 years, something like that. So I do I go to the studios, but eventually uh, we're, we're building, we're going to have it where we can eventually, I'm going to broadcast right to the station from here. Eventually. Yeah. Yeah. That's my, 
And I can't think of anything cooler than being able to do a radio show out of your home. Yeah. Yeah. I was on, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the artist first network, but I had a, I had a radio show. Well, it was a satellite radio and it, I had a show on after Artie Cornfield. I don't know if you know Artie or not, but you I don't know, know yeah. Yeah. From Woodstock. And I had a show on there and I did it from my house, you know, and uh, whoever I had as guest, they would just call into the station and I'd be on there at the same time. The station would record it. Oh, and I'd be able to do everything from my home. I never had so to go in the music from your house and everything. I, I was doing everything. I was putting the entire show together in my house. How were you sending your signal from the house? Uh, clean feed or how are you doing? No, it, it wasn't a, it wasn't a live show. Oh, it was a record. It was a recorded show. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there were there were times where we did it live. Yeah. Uh-huh. In the radio station, I would just send them the music that I wanted and they would put the music in oh, at different parts. So which worked out really well. But for the most part, I would record the show at my house. I do everything on Pro Tools, put in the songs, put in, the, you know, the the interviews and create my own intros and all that kind of stuff. And Yes, sir. And then send it off. And I, I, I absolutely loved it. As a matter of fact, when I stopped doing it, it was one of those things that I regretted not doing anymore because I enjoyed it so much. You know, I do, too. I, I love it. I, I do it every Monday night from seven to ten central time. And unless I'm on the road, then we have about eight to ten shows in the can mm-hmm. that we can pull from. And but it's not I mean, especially last uh the last two years, I haven't missed very much at all. Uh, only we're, only way I missed back in 2020, I missed about two or three weeks in November because I had COVID, yeah. you know, and I had to I had to stay put here for a little bit. And um, I didn't have a really bad case, but I had it. So I had to kind of stay isolated. But I, I love radio. I, I grew up. You, you, you'll understand this because you're from the area from you remember WLS. Right. That was a big AM flamethrower when I was a kid. Yeah. You know, or I heard Jimi Hendrix for the first time on that station. I heard uh, Cream for the first time on that station. I heard The Doors. Yeah. Because you know, it, it uh, you know, the, the deal is back then we didn't, there was no internet. And yeah. our living in Midcalf County, which is a very small population. We didn't have any. All we had was like a local radio station, thirty miles away, and they would they would sign off at seven o'clock. Yeah. And then start listening to Chicago radio. I, there was two stations out of Chicago I listened to: WCFL and WLS. And uh, WCFL was really they had a great underground show on Sunday nights called the Subterranean Circus with Ron Britton, and I listened to that religiously and i learned so much about music from listening to ron you know so chicago besides the blues yeah you know blues and r&b roots you guys got man you got great radio had great radio and yeah I, I don't know what it's like now <laughs> you know it's, i don't i'm like i used to you know yeah it's not it's pretty much non-existent now you know mm-hmm. it's gone through all those phases when I was when I was young, uh, WLS to me was Animal Stories. I don't know if oh. you ever. <laughs> that, yeah. was, 
That's what I remember because I didn't hear <laughs> Hendrix and stuff like that till much later. Yeah, what what year were you born? Uh, I mean, 64. 64, okay. Yeah. Plus, you were probably, as a kid, you were probably catching maybe from your parents' radio or something. Maybe that were they listened to WLS a little bit? Oh, they did? Well, they, they, they listened to, I don't know what the heck they listened to, to be honest. And they didn't listen to very much because they weren't musical people. You know, you know what I mean? They didn't go to concerts or go out and see music and they didn't always have the radio going. Nobody played an instrument. It was, you know, my, I come from a family that like to spend all their time fishing and hunting. Okay. I got you. you. Shooting guns out back, you know, kind of thing. Well, my (laughs) parents were into country music real heavy. Yeah. You know, I'd I'd hear there was a station. I, I grew up in Louisville. Till 67 then i moved down to, to midcalf county edmonton is the county seat that's how i met richard and fred but uh i mean i heard you know buck owens and merle haggard yeah travis chet atkins i was hearing all that stuff and i didn't you know i, I as a kid i would fight that stuff like i don't want to play that i want to play i heard led zeppelin oh that's what i want to do <laughs> You know, <laughs> open my mouth. They go, yeah, you, you're, you're just a bumpkin. You better play some country. <laughs> you know, but anyway, it's, it seems like you've kind of intertwined it all. All you know, you guys seem to cross genres. You know, yeah, and that's one of the things that's so appealing. You know, about the headhunters is that they do that. They appeal to such a wide variety of people. You know, hats off to you for doing that, because some people can't, you know, maintain one genre, let alone be that that, you know, appealing, you know, across so many boundaries. Exactly. Well, we, uh, of course, back in the 70s, me and Richard Fred and our cousin Anthony had a group called Itchy Brother. And that was it was pretty heavy rock and roll. I mean, it was three piece with Richard singing. And, you know, I mean there's some rehearsal tapes from that band kind of floating around with different people. And I heard it the other day. And I was like, man, we were on top of that, that game. But yeah, by the time the headhunters were put together in 86, we had matured a bit and we had taken everything we'd been listening to blues, little country, the rock stuff and the soul music. And we just meshed it together mm-hmm. and bringing Doug Phelps into the band and his brother Ricky, that changed everything too. Those were game changers. But you know, we, me and Richard Fred came a little bit more from the rock and roll side, but we got studying blues, and Chicago was a big part of that as well, as you know. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know, it just kind of come out like it, like it does. And it seemed like uh, we just done the Grand Ole Opry December fourth, first time as a band, yeah, first ever, and that, that it went over freaking great yeah they they accepted us and that's something to be real proud about you know oh i can yeah i can only imagine yeah i've been to the uh, the opry a couple of times and it's always yeah i don't know it's almost like a religious event Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know to some degree you know and so to be able to say you played there is got to be a great honor well as a band i had done it in the eighties with a, I played with a country artist for eight and a half years named Ronnie McDowell. That's where I met Doug Phelps. 
our current lead singer, or the, the one that sings the lion's share. And, um, you know, we had done it with him and that was great. And I thought, you know, really up to about a year ago, I thought, well, I will never do the Opry, but then they offered it to us and we thought, well, we got to lose, you know, let's yeah. do it. Yeah. It, it was a, yeah. You guys have also, you know, you've managed to write some really rememberable uh, songs. I mean, the, the hooks in some of those songs, genius, pure genius, you know? And so you gotta, I gotta wonder, was it, was it on purpose? Was it, you know, we were goofing off and this happened or, or was it just somebody in, you know, amongst you or all of you combined just, you know, had, had, because some people just have the ability to write that kind of stuff. And then other people, it's just like, they got to screw around for a while until something comes up. Exactly. I don't, don't, which is it? Well, with us, it's, it's a weird combination. Uh, We got some guys in the band that are really more about, you know, they'll get, they'll get up in the morning a lot of times and something will come to them and they'll write a song and they'll bring it into the band. And then by the time we tear into it, we'll change the thing around a bit and make it into a head on a song. But there again, there are certain things like um, Dumas Walker. It was written on the spot and we were laughing about it and never thought a thing about it, but it's about real places in South central Kentucky and uh, people just connected with that song. So I think the greatest songs from the Headhunters, really, and we haven't been able to do this lately uh, because of the pandemic and things, because the last album we had to do on the fly, man, we hadn't been together. We hadn't played together in a few months. We went to studio and we kind of knew what we were going to do, but we had to work that stuff up on the floor. You know, we remembered we had some rehearsal tapes and we would go back and go, well, I don't think we quite got that. And we would start jamming, then we'd come across the field. Or if Richard brought a song, we would work on it, come up with a, some parts. Or if uh, even Fred, different people, and we even re-recorded a song that Richard, Fred, Anthony, Kenny, who's no longer with us, that we wrote back in 1973 called Shotgun Effie. You know, we actually did a 45 on that when we were kids. So we just said, well, let's go ahead. What we got to lose is re-recorded, you know. But it's a combination of two or three things. There's no set rule the way we write. But I think the best stuff that comes from the headhunters, when we get in a room with a blank slate and and just let the uh, be antennas and and stuff will come, you know. Yeah, yeah. There is some, you know, and. I don't mean to sound uh, bragocious or anything, but but I think there is some pretty good songs involved. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah some writing with them. I think that's what while we're still around. Oh, I, mo- I think the band has matured pretty well. You know, we're older, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> we're definitely matured. <laughs> we're matured, man. We're vintage. We're relic. That's you it. Know? That's it. That's really cool, though, you know, because there's there's people that go an entire lifetime uh, yeah, being yeah. being a musician and never experience, you know, having wrote a song that is embraced by, you know, just masses oh. of people, you know, and, and to be able to say that you've done that not only once, 
you know, but you've done that time and time again, you know, to the point to where you have a catalog of songs that are like that. We're very blessed. Dumas Walker, we're very proud of. Uh, UK ball, whether it's football or um, basketball, at the end of each game they play. Somebody told me they play Kentucky Wildcat before the game starts and they play Dumas Walker when people are walking out. And I think it's just great. And every now and then somebody will email me from London or somewhere. Hey, I'm sitting in uh, this bar and I just heard Dumas Walker, you know, and I thought, yeah. oh, you know, and Richard, Richard wrote a really big song, him and Marty Brown and another gentleman uh, for, uh, for Tracy Bird. I'm from the country. Oh yeah. And that was a huge song. And, I don't know why we didn't do it early on. I guess because of stupidity or, but it, it probably just wasn't meant to be, you know, yeah. but, but we got some good songs. I, I mean, uh, I, I think that's why we're still around. Yeah. And well, we, yeah. And we try, try to be personable as much as we can to people, you know, I mean, with the pandemic, we're having to be more careful, but man, we're just doing our job. You know. <laughs> Well, one of the things that I noticed about, um, well, this is probably not good to say, but I'm going to say it anyway. One of the things that I noticed about bands from the South is that they are much more outgoing when it comes to their fan base. Maybe that's true. I, you know, all the bands I know from the South are pretty good to their fans. Yeah, Mm -hmm. absolutely. I know, you Mm -hmm. know, um, Charlie Starr and those guys and, uh, I may get I will sneeze. Sorry. Oh. <laughs> I think he's a he. Oh, never mind. It's no big deal. Sorry about that, guys. But this is real. That's this is, it. This is real radio. Uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I think I think maybe they are, but I, I don't know. I'm not one. I'm not trying to diss the North by any means. I grew up in Louisville, which is kind of the gateway, right? Both ways. So I I don't know. Do you think do you think people from the north are just a little bit more standoffish till they figure out what's going on? I, I well, I I think they're more standoffish. Yes, and I think that you know, and I I I'm, once again, there's people that I'm gonna get bad mail for this, but I'm gonna say it anyway. <laughs> you know, <laughs> there's certain there's certain uh, I don't want to well genre there's certain genres of music where the people within those genres are really off putting. You know what I mean? They, I, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's they, you know, I, I, I'm not exactly sure. But when I talk to guys like uh, Riley from uh, the Georgia Thunderbolts, you know, and, uh, you know, guys like, and, and Boone and stuff, guys like that, they seem to be, uh, and Andrew from Them Dirty Roses, they just yep. seem to really care about the fans. They do. They, they, they do genuinely care about their fans. And, uh, you know, and I've been to see, I'm not going to say his name, but I went to see a guy who's extremely well-known, somebody that I've known on and off for years. And I've seen him treat people just like crap. You know, people that just want to get a picture. He won't take a picture, you know, wants an autograph, won't give an autograph. Really? You know, it's like, you know, these are the people that just paid to see you or they buy your albums, you would think that being in that position, you would well, uh, be more gracious. Exactly. Well, we're not able to meet people as much as we used to because of the pandemic. Right. And, which is sad because we used to 
not every gig, but a lot of gigs we would set up uh, at a table afterwards and, and sign and talk to people, you know, till each fan went through until we were done. Mm-hmm. You know, we're not able to do that right now, but maybe that'll get back to normal. Maybe yeah. I hope, I don't know if we'll ever be normal again. Yeah. Whatever. I mean, but I, I do believe, look, the money flows from the fan base. Mm-hmm. You know, to people like crap, is I don't care who you are or what you do, whether you're a plumber or a mechanic, treating somebody bad is just uncalled for. Yeah. It, you know, and being a musician, we're lucky anyway to get up there and stand in front of people for an hour and a half, two hours and play music and then to treat people like crap. I'm like, yeah. You know, and I don't know who the guy, I don't want to know who the guy is. No, you know what? <laughs> I would never say that's okay. Is he, is he still got a successful career? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Well, okay. Well, God, good. Well, good for him. I get, maybe he'll get nice one of these days, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but you know, us, us people from the South, we walk into a room, all shucks. <laughs> How y'all doing in here? You know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I started in, uh, in the early nineties, late eighties, and I started playing in Chicago, you know, and the one of the first people that I rubbed shoulders with was a guy named Buddy Scott. He had a band called Buddy Scott and the Rib Tips. Okay. Buddy's mom played guitar for Elmore James and the whole Scott family was musical. The son went on to be the band uh, leader for Tyrone Davis and you wow. know, it's like, I met this guy and he was the most generous and kind and inviting person. Mm-hmm. And I remember the entire scene uh, of going to all the South side clubs, you know, all the African-American clubs, sure. being the only, you know, white person in the room yeah. sometimes, most of the time being mm-hmm. treated just, I mean, like, like a king, like royalty. But they, they took you in and they just, you know, wanted to teach you the ropes and that. But it seems like today th- that isn't the model anymore. You know what I mean? People, it used to be, you know, a guy like me could show up at your show in the early 90s and you're playing a club and I could ask to sit in. And yeah. the chances are you're going to let me sit in because, yeah. you know, back then it's, you know, it's whatever. But now... It's like it doesn't matter you yeah. know, who you are or what's going on. It's like it's a completely different world. It's not as um, uh, uh, people don't cultivate new talent like that anymore. Well, people have gotten territorial. Uh, some people, I mean, there's egos, but a lot of the ego is mistaken for people have inferiority complex, complexes. And, um, and there's some people where... You know, back in Chicago, back in the day, they had head chopping contest every every week. You know, Buddy Guy'd go up against Otis Rush or this and that. You know, and they never thought nothing about it. Right, they just make players. You know, um, I heard a lot of. You know, I've had I had a friend that lived in Chicago. Uh, this must have been the '60s. His name was Cliff Butler, and he had a very successful R and B uh blues career i mean not not he wasn't up you know like a bobby um bobby blue bland or some of those guys but 
he went into the ministry at some point in the 70s. But he said uh, he moved back to Louisville. And I went visit his record store one day because I was looking for blues records. And he uh, he told me, he said, oh, yeah, he, he was talking. I know he's talking about Michael Bloomfield, Elvin Bishop, and Butterfield. He was talking, yeah, these boys, they, they would come dressed up in their hippie garb. They would come show up, at the, they, you know, show up at the African-American clubs and they'd set in. And I think Bloomfield did that. Yeah, yeah. You folks that don't know who Michael Bloomfield is, <laughs> know who Michael Bloomfield is. Oh, most definitely, yeah. 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 Oh, and man, you're missing out because uh, he really pointed a wave. I, I, I heard... I, I was lucky enough that I had heard B.B. King because my brother went into bluegrass music in 68 and he gave me a bunch of records. And then the box was a B.B. King record. And man, I went, oh, wow. And then I heard uh, Super Session and Electric Flag, you know, with Michael Bloomfield. I'm going, oh, my God. You know, yeah. and I said, this is what I want a piece of, you know, or yeah. learn from. Yeah. So I don't know if people... I don't know if people are as, as sharing as they used to be. Uh, is it generation gap or something? I don't know what, what that is. Yeah, it was great. It was crazy because I can recall during that time frame, you know, <laughs> sitting in with Otis Rush and Buddy Guy. Did you sit? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. And, and I played with Lefty Diz and Sugar oh, Boo and Lucky Peterson. And, oh, yes, oh, yeah. God. I was with Buddy Miles for yeah six months. Yeah. You know, so I've, I've been, the blues has been my my world. I've done shows with Bob Margolin and Billy Branch. And I mean, oh, I, could, I could go on in that. But, but back in those days, you know, I could go to a club like Lee's Unleaded Blues and sit in with uh, Little Milton and uh, Tyrone Davis and, you know, oh. all these guys. And it was just as cool as can be. And everybody was you know, they were nurturing you and it's like, uh, they'd see a young talent and it was like, okay, yeah, let's try to, you know, let's try to they encourage them. Yeah. They weren't fence around their success. They weren't territorial. Yeah. You know, they, they when they weren't being like cats and dogs and, or especially cats, how they spray for their area. <laughs> I got a cat here that does is, but, uh, but yeah, man, you, so you were really coming from the blues thing. Aren't oh you? yeah. 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 God Almighty, well, good deal. I love that. I love it. Yeah, I, I, that's the, you know, that's where I started out. My first band, my drummer uh, was Kevin Johnson, who was, he was playing with Buddy Guy at the time. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, and so I would go up to Chicago and sit in at Legends with him. He was there with the house band and the house band was made up of like, well, the guy, the guy who plays uh, Orlando Wright, who plays bass for Buddy now. But it was like all these guys that were playing with Lonnie Brooks and Otis Rush and Big sure, Daddy sure. Kenzie and all these guys, Coco yeah. Taylor. And you just got to know everybody. And if you could play, mm -hmm. you know, they would, like I said, they would, they would, I, you know, I, I credit, you know, everything I know how to do to those early days because those guys would give me stage time with some of the best, you know, and, uh, and it forces you, right? When you surround yourself with yeah. people that are better than you, it forces well, you to what you're doing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You either get good or you die. <laughs> Man, I've been I've been in some situations. Uh, we we got Danny Gatton on stage oh. with us in Toronto, 
back in, I don't know what year, it had to be early 90s because he passed in 94, I think. And uh, he played, and I said, what the God can I do after this? Well, I do just lay down and die or do a dance, you know? Yeah. But, you know, he, he was not a combative. <laughs> uh, he wasn't, you know, he was really a good soul. And, and, and I've, I've been in situations like that. Uh, do you know who Jack Pearson is? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fabulous guitarist. I yeah. love him. Human. Um, and, and I played with Jack a few times and Jack will always make things better. Mm. You know, they don't get too, uh, you know, they don't get weird, you know, and then, and that is what you're saying. These people helped you a whole lot. I think that's great. I ne- never got to play with a whole lot of, I've got to play with Bobby rush. I got to play with, um, Bobby rush. Yeah. Yeah. Bobby's a trip. You probably uh, Bobby, yeah. right? But you know yeah, I know Bobby. Bobby. I know Bobby. Yeah. Bobby to run, he could be he could be a governor in Mississippi. I, I think I think he would get it. People yeah. love to walk down the street and people just follow him. They love him. Yeah. But he's a good human. He's got a good spirit. Yeah. And, but I've got to play with, you know, um, some of the guys who used to play Muddy Waters. But I, there's a few people I haven't got to play with. We've got to play with Kim Wilson years ago, which is a whole different trip. But, but man, that sounds great that you got to do that. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And I have a lot of my heroes. Uh, I mean, there's people like in the rock thing, like like uh, Ronnie Montrose, right. uh, Rick Derringer, and people like that. I've got to know over the years. But man, it's all about you know, music is a it's a language, mm-hmm. it's a conversation. So if you're playing with another guitar player, you should have a nice little conversation, going back and forth, or or just make the music better, make the song better, because the song is king anyway. Right. Yeah. And Any, I love that brothers. They they could take whipping posts and they could just go <clears throat> any, you know, they could take that song could be as shorter one night or it could be longer. They were fabulous musicians, you know, but that, but there again, on the other hand, you got uh, John Fogart and Credence. They wrote those nice little tunes, you know, that were pretty yeah. much way to go. Yeah. Scattered guys. Sorry about this, but, uh, but anyway, I think it's great that you got to do, and you got to learn a lot. Are you getting to play much now? You know, I, I, I had stopped and in 2019, I went back in the studio of Walter Trout's band and okay. I, rec- I recorded what was my ninth, my ninth CD. Oh, and wow. I was, I was going to release it and, you know, try to latch on to a tour. Cause I've done opening slots for, you know, Ario and sticks and Robin Trower and, bunch of different people in that. And uh, I was going to try to latch on to something like that and tour the album. And then the COVID came, oh, you know, this was, this was like right at the start of 20, you know? And so, uh, you know, I just dove in. showed up. Some people down here say, you got the Clovis. <laughs> yeah. So I, I dove into the podcast, but I still did date. You know, I've I've still managed to do you know some some dates in that and uh, yeah, and I started a um, a David Gilmore tribute band. Okay, okay. I, I just He's want to play. Player, I'm just He's trying to play. He's a great player. Wow. I, yeah, I need I need to delve into more of his style, uh, but he is really a fabulous player. Have you ever met him? 
No, I I've interviewed I've interviewed Phil Taylor, his guitar tech. Okay. But, I, but I've never no, I've tried desperately to get him to come on my show and you won't you know. do it. Are well, his, his his manager told me on the phone one day, son, it's never going to happen. <laughs> so, <laughs> Does he not do interviews anymore? No, well, he didn't rarely did them before. That's what I figured. And That's that, what. I, well, but, hey, at least the manager was upfront with you, and I mean, God, would, would we all like to at least talk to Clapton? What maybe you wouldn't? I, do you like Clapton a lot? Oh yeah, I like Clapton. Yeah, I love Clapton. When I first yeah. heard, I came out of the cream, and you know the Mayall thing. And, and I, I like all years of Clapton, you know, uh, I love, I, he walked by me at the Grammys one time, but I couldn't say a word. Yeah. <laughs> you want to just anything. tug on, tug on his, uh, yeah, hey, jacket. God, come down, <laughs> come down to my, <laughs> could come off your, you know, yeah. But, and we're, we're so lucky. Uh, the, you know, you grew up, I mean, you've grown up a lot of the same stuff. You, you're talking about Otis Rush. Man, one of the big regrets I have, uh, you know, Dave's Guitar Shop in Lacrosse, Right. I'm sure you looked at their site. Yeah, they, I've been if, there. Yes. They back a few years ago, and I don't know why I didn't get it. I've got a 57 Strat. It's a great guitar. It's all the Strat I'll ever need. But they had this 56 or 57, and Otis Rush had signed it. Oh, and wow. Why in the God I did not. I could have got that guitar a day. I, I really regret that so much. Yeah. I mean, strats are fun. I play Les Paul more than I do a strat, but right. both are fabulous. You know, they make you, they, they veer you off into a different direction. Yeah. It seems like, it seems like most of the images or videos that I've seen of you, you've either been with an ES 335 yeah. or a Les Paul. Yeah. I've got three fives and I've got Les Pauls and I do have some fenders, but I, Richard covers the Telecaster uh, really well. Yeah. You know, that's his thing. And yeah, every now and then we have done shows where I play telly too, but I'm playing through a Marshall, you mm -hmm. know, an old Marshall, and he's playing through a Fender. So, but you know what, man, I was talking to some guys today uh, at this meeting, you know, the, the start of the true tone is right here. It's your hands. It's yeah. from heart. And, but now you got to have a good instrument. It feels good. And kind of get near what you want, you know. I like a little bit more gain. I'm not sure where you're at with that. Yeah. Uh, are you Are you more into? Do you use many pedals or? Well, I, I go through I go through phases. Yeah. Do you ever I just? Can... Of course, I've for years I've just plugged into a Marshall and turned the amp sideways and covered up, turn on ten, yeah. you know. And, but monitor man's not real happy sometimes, you know. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, so. Uh, I noticed that the, in your tone, though, I mean, because of the style of music that you play, yeah, because it crosses the different genres, you know, it's kind of nice to have that, that, uh, you know, distinction between the two different guitars, yeah. you know yeah. what I mean? Because when I hear you, I, I mean, I, I see you and I watch you, you, you bite into the strings, you get them pitch harmonics, yeah. you know, yeah. you, you know, you can tell it's more of a growl. In that, but they really accompany each other really well. It's really well balanced, and it seems to be that you guys, you know, are all pretty much working for the song as opposed to it's my turn to play a lead. Yeah, no, 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 exactly. There's this. Uh, my cousin told me years ago. He's a guitar player. Says, you know, you know, the, the singer tells a story, then the 
guitar player comes along and changes the whole story. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and that, that's true sometimes. But no, I have to say for the Headhunters, uh, it's pretty much about the song. It may change a little bit. I, I don't do the same solos all the time, but I don't go off into some, you're not going to see me get up there and start doing finger taps. I, I can't do it. I can't even see well enough to do it. I'd be hitting the fretboard. Right. Yeah. But, but and there's nothing and nothing wrong with finger taps. I think Eddie Van Halen was great, you know. Yeah. But I I just kind of came from that uh, 68 to 72 class, you know, and you know Clapton, of course Billy Gibbons and people like that. So yeah. that's where the harmonics mostly comes from is Billy Gibbons, I believe. Right. But you do work for the song, and I really I think any band. Every any band should do that, and I think the Rolling Stones are a great blueprint. I think every band that has two guitars should go buy a copy of "Get Your Yaya's Out" by the Rolling Stones and go. This is it. Listen to Mick. Listen to Keith. How they make a a nice big sound together, you know. Yeah, yeah. The Pie did that too. Yeah. So so. Uh... I, I don't normally prepare any kind of questions for anybody because I, I just love the conversation, but I, I do have one that I'd like to ask. And that is, you know, um, one of the things that I like to do through the podcast is to, to give people an inside look at what it took for somebody to become the player that they are now. So the question is, is that what did you do in the formative days of, you know, becoming a player? that made you the player that you are right now? Well, I, I really started playing seriously. I picked up the guitar, you know, because my brother had a, a Stratocaster and we had a cousin living with us. He had a 335, a dot neck 335. And they were at the house. So when they were at work, I'd be sneaking upstairs playing those guitars. And, you know, and I didn't take guitar playing that serious until about 1968 and uh there was a couple of couple things that happened uh, there was a band out of louisville kentucky a power trio called elysian field and i mean i'd seen some really good bands we were living here uh in glasgow i'm sorry midcalf county and um there was some really good bands around here but when i went to I see this band it was like october 1968 I don't know. There's something about that night. I went, that's what I want to do right there. And now I didn't really pursue it as hard as I should have. But about two weeks later, I met Richard and Fred, you know, <laughs> and there was going to be a talent show at Midcalf County High School. And uh, they, a cousin of mine said, uh, uh, we need a guitar player. Of course, I hadn't been playing that long. And you know, so but we got together and we just clicked. You know, it was like fate, pretty much. And we played this talent show. I think we played Born to Be Wild. Yeah. And it got maybe uh, Jumping Jack Flash or whatever was out at the time. And, you know, and honestly, Jimmy, I didn't, I, I worked, I worked it out. You know, I kind of knew where I wanted to go with it, but I didn't really work on it as hard as I should. I think it was, it was really 1977. I went to see Led Zeppelin and I said, uh, what am I doing working? I quit my job. I had a great job at an electronics shop. And I said, that's it. I'm going to play music. That was it. It Man, it's just a matter of, um, for me, it was just uh, going back and listening to, uh, uh, you know, like as much as I loved Eric Clapton, 
Jimi Hendrix and Jimmy Page and people like that. I had to go back and listen to the Otis Rushes, um, mm-hmm. Buddy Guys, B.B. King, Albert King, Freddie King, Albert Collins. Uh, and, and we don't, you know, you can't really sound like those guys. Uh, Stevie Ray came close, but Stevie Ray was still a great, great player. He was deep. Yeah. Yeah. He was deep. You know, he was an extension. He was an extension of Albert and Jimi Hendrix. You know, but but he he was no copycat, man. He played with a lot of soul. Yeah. Like, but I, I think I think it just you just got to get out and start playing in front of people, and and I think eventually you learn how to edit your playing. Um, you know, you know I've always viewed a solo rhythm is equally as important. You know, because you've got to back the singer up. But when during the solo, I think it's about like writing a letter to somebody. You got to have good punctuation. You can't just start screaming there through the whole thing. <laughs> I like to dish out a little something, take a break, and then you know have a period yeah. and back and play some. And 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 I think Billy Gibbons was a big. I know Billy Gibbons was a big influence because he's one of those less is more guys. You know. Yeah. Yeah. But. And I'm doing it, man. Experience, you know, and playing in front of people, playing shows. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and another thing really, really was important to me is going back. I'm not, it's just going back to an old Marshall, plugging straight in, cranking it up, and then learning how to use the volume control mm-hmm. and finding your phone. That was it, pretty much. Yeah. It, yeah. And I always play with better, better folks than you. Yeah, I think that's that's key, you know, is you got to surround yourself with players much better yeah. than yourself. Because if not, you know, it's like, where do you go? It's like, where do you go? And that's no, what I no. love about doing this show, because almost everybody that comes on is better than me. So I get to, I get to grab something from everybody. So well, I, you know. I think that is, you know, that's why I do my radio show and I interview right. people like you're doing. Uh, I had John Smith from. Edgar Winters White Trash on last night. Yeah. And, you know, because I wanted to go, oh, what about Rick Derringer, what, who was a great player? Still yeah. is. And yeah. uh, Floyd Radford that, that played on the first White Trash album or two of them. You know, and this John Smith guy had been around so many heavy hitters and you want to learn something. You Like I say, if you, you're probably like me, you're doing this to learn. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, yeah, that's what I do. I mean, every week I have to put a radio show together, three hours, and 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 ultimately I'm going to find something. I go, oh wow, I've never heard this before. Yeah. You know, it's fun. It's yeah. like inviting over to your living room, but then the interview portion is really good. I, I, the only time I didn't have a good interview, and it wasn't his fault because he wasn't real well, and it was Johnny Winter. Yeah, because didn't feel good, and I done so much prep. I knew about Johnny, and I would. Say, Johnny, you remember la 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 la? You remember doing this with uh, Clarence Garlow? And, oh yeah, man, I remember that. That was it. I'm like, boom, <laughs> interview was over. <laughs> <laughs> I love, yeah. it. love Johnny Winter. He wasn't very talkative there at the towards the yeah. end. Yeah, end. yeah. Did you talk to him a little bit. I yeah, I knew Johnny a little bit. I got the opportunity to open up for him one time yeah. and. I interviewed him for my last radio show two weeks before he passed away. Oh, how was he on that? 
Uh, it, it was difficult because he was on his tour bus in San Francisco. And so it kept cutting in and out. And uh, Johnny, you know, wasn't good with technology at all. No, you know? no. So, uh, but I, I interviewed uh, 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 Jack Bruce. Oh, God. Green. I interviewed Jack Bruce also two weeks before he passed. In that I had been trying to get him on my show for over a year. And wow. uh, he was, you know, he was living in Paris, but he was in the UK at the time doing another album or something because he had a blues band over there. Oh, cool. Yeah. And so I tried to get him on and he, he passed away and I never aired the show. Uh, you know, I never aired it. I, I don't know. It was something that I always thought was just kind of between me and him. I thought it was kind of cool. You know what I mean? Because, pretty cool guy. Oh, he was a piece of history, you know? <laughs> He was a piece of history, you know? Yeah. So, so that's cool that we got that kindred spirit when it comes to this, because oh yeah, this is the coolest thing in the world to be able to have conversations with people that are just such masters at what they do. It well, just blows me away. Yes, man. You, you can always learn from everybody. Hey man, yeah. up from Boone, he's younger. Yeah. You, know, you like, you know, he's a real, he's a student. You know, that kid's always looking for, you know, he's going, I'm really proud of him in that respect. Moon Frog it with Otis, I, I'm, you yeah. know, because he, he don't just, uh, I mean, he embraces new music, I'm sure. But he, that kid is always going back and listening to uh, Magic Magic uh, Sam and different things like that, you know. Yeah. You know, and I think it's great because, uh, you know, I, I do believe to, to embrace the future, you've got to go back a bit because i mean if we just try to you know when i was coming up i mean we all want to be eric clapton and yeah. i had no you know what clapton was doing still don't really but you know trying to sound like somebody else if you sound like somebody else you're not doing your job exactly. you, there's nothing wrong with letting your influences show there's yeah. nothing wrong with that at all yeah because uh, i think everybody we've all got influence i don't know who your biggest influence is but as a kid, it was Eric Clapton, you know, for the and Michael Bloomfield and Hendrix and people like that. And yeah. uh, it took me, it was through those guys, it took me back to go to find the, the three, the three kings, you know, Albert, yeah. BB, Freddie, and folks like that. Yeah. It's like we go through an evolution of music that way because I'm the exact same way. When I was young, it was, Jimi Hendrix and ZZ Top and, you know, that kind of stuff. And then, then it became Iron Maiden and Metallica. Were you that? Yeah. And then it was blues. And then it was blues. It was Down Home, Petey Wheatstraw, Betsy Smith, Robert Johnson, you know. Yeah. Yeah. It's like it's gone. You've gone through the gamut, you know. And and now today, you know, like I look at some of my favorite players or you know, uh, guys that pretty much go unknown, you know, like Alan Hines and Carl uh, Verhey and, and Mark Goldenberg. Yeah, Alan Hines is really good. Yeah, yeah, Alan's bad. Do you know Haynes? Do you know Alan Haynes? How about Haynes? Alan Haynes. Hmm. He's really good. Check him out. Alan Haynes. Yeah. Live from the Big Easy. you got to have that. If you're into Stratocasters, right? Yeah, I love strats. Yeah. Yeah, he's a really good strat player. Uh yeah. he was friends with Stevie Ray. He don't sound like Stevie Ray, but yeah. all in 
boys, they know how to edit their notes. They just know <laughs> it's just enough. You go, okay, I got it. Yeah. yeah. Hines, I know who Alan Hines is, but tell me more about him. Uh, Alan is Alan is actually an instructor at uh, MIT or the Musicians yeah. Institute, you know, in California. Uh, sure. And uh, he's he's more known as a he's from Alabama. Okay. He lives in California, and he's he's more of a, a fusion. Yeah. More of a fusion player. He did. He's done. Uh, he did a series of master classes during the pandemic with John Harrington from Steely Dan. They oh, did. That's fabulous. <laughs> yeah, they did. They're in the same boat. They're the same. Oh, okay. okay. They're, the, they're the same boat. Yeah. But I love, uh, I love Larry Carlton. Do you like Larry yeah. Carlton? Oh yeah. Yeah. I heard Larry Carlton. The set. I mean, I didn't realize I was hearing Larry Carlton all through the seventies, you know, and I was hearing ramblings about him. Then when he put out a uh, room 35 uh, album, yeah. I went, Man, that is fabulous, man. I want me a Mesa Boogie and a 335. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you know. But yeah, yeah he, he, he's the reason I got into the whole Dumble world, you know, Dumble yeah. amps and, you know, clones and things like that was because of him and Robin Ford. You ever had a Dumble? I, I don't know. I know a guy that's got two of them, but I've never, no. I've got I, Dumble clone amps. I've got a bunch which of ones, them. Which ones do you like best? I like the Foosh Overdrive. That's my favorite. Foosh. Foosh. F U C H S. So, how would you distinguish? Uh, what? How do you describe? I mean, I know how these other guys sound and everything, but how? If you have to describe a Dumble to somebody, how would you do that? Well, it's kind of hard because each each Dumble is completely different. That's right. That's right. Good answer. It's because it's the dumbbells were built for the player, so you know yeah. it's 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 different. But but there but there's something about the I, I don't know the ones that that I've heard consistently, like Robin Ford's, for instance. I've seen Robin many times. I, every time I've seen him, he's had his dumbbell, and uh, and yeah. there's there's a consistency in the smoothness, the glassiness of the tone. You know that's yeah yeah really really great well he's the reason i switched to to little walter and that uh i don't yeah. know if you're familiar with phil bradbury oh, and little oh, walter. i know phil i did a demo for them years yeah. ago you could find it man yeah. i'm doing but i'm uh i'm going through several of his amps yeah they're great amps i don't know why i don't buy one of those i should yeah uh, i love phil i love phil so you got a foosh, right? Is, is it? Is it? I thought is it Andy. Andy, the guy. Yeah, Andy. Andy Foosh. Yeah, yeah. I've got the Overdrive uh, uh, Special or the Overdrive Supreme and the uh, Full House Fifty. Those are the two that I have that are his. They're great amps, absolutely great <laughs> amps. But I also have, you know, the Two Rock, uh, the uh, the Reverb uh, Signature Reverb. Classic signature yeah. reverb or whatever. Yeah. That's Dumble ish, uh, which which is really really nice. Okay. Um, let's see uh, the uh, Van Van Whalen. I think that's how you pronounce his name, or Wajilian, or whatever the heck it is. Yeah. What are you talking, you know about, talking about? Yeah, yeah. I, I had a Two Rock Emerald Pro or something. Yeah, Do you remember those? I'm mean, I'm talking about. We're going back to 2002, 2003. Yeah, uh, but I. I don't know why I didn't keep that amp. Uh, don't have it. 
you know what? And I tried to sell it in Bowling Green. It sat down there for two years. Nobody even knew what it was. I think Amps have really gone up. The old ones have gone yeah. up. Right. Thinking about it, I actually, the reason I'm picking your brain, I thought about getting a Fuchs uh, or oh, yeah. how you pronounce it. Yeah, they're, they're really good amps. They're, I mean, they're exceptional. I have a lot of great players, you know, or use them. Now, Jimmy Harrington plays one. Mark Goldenberg plays one. Yes. I mean, uh, Warren Haynes. Yes. You know, he has one. There's, yes. you know, there's, there's a lot of people playing them, but it's just a great amp. Yeah. You know? yeah. And the company is great. Andy, I mean, you know, he's super, super, even though, you know, his, his stuff is now – you know, now it's sold in retail stores like, you know, Sweetwater and stuff like that. It's still a mom and pop operation, you know, where he, where it's real personable. And I know, I know guys like yourself and people in the industry, when they're connected to a company, you know, with using their equipment, they sure. like those companies to feel like family. And Absolutely. I've got some boutique. I've got a, I've got a car amp. Yeah. Steve a matter of fact, I've got two on order right now. I've got a car, Mercury V, and a Raleigh on order. They're they're just way behind. And I've got a couple of Greg Germinos, oh, yeah. type things. But I the only thing I really don't have covered is the the, the uh, Dumble thing. And and the reason I'm saying this because if I turn this into an overdub studio or or something like that, I will need an amp like that. You know, yeah. I can obviously I can't listen. I'll be honest with you, I. Used to get Dave Rogers at Dave's Guitars, a dear friend of mine. I love him and his crew a lot. If you remember years ago, they would send out little flyers mm -hmm. in the mail. You'd get a flyer. I can't, anyway, one night I came in from rehearsal during the week. The headhunters have been rehearsing, and I went by the post office and I got his new list. And I'm looking, I'm going, a Dumbo, uh, $2,000. Well, I call him up the next day. I said, oh no, Greg. That's, that's, this is way back. I said that's twenty thousand. <laughs> yeah. And I said, oh really, Dave? I thought, but he said, I'll, I'll let you borrow it if you want me to. He's now. I don't know if you do this now. I doubt it. You know, because because he's got a big mail order. You know, but he sent that amp to me. And honestly, I'll be honest with you, I couldn't get anything out of that dumbbell. Yeah. I couldn't get anything that I considered. But I believe it's amp to amp. You know, like hey, uh, yeah. I was having a conversation with Joe Bonamassa one time uh, in Louisville, Kentucky, and he had two he had two doubles on stage. Yeah, and he, they don't sound good by themselves. I'm like, God, what do you got them for? I don't, you know. But yeah, Joe gets good sound. He can plug right into a, you know, he can plug into a tweet amp. He's fine, you know. Yeah. So, well, you know, I, like I said, I've seen uh, Robin and Larry both you yes. know, play, play through their Dumble, just have their Dumble. But Larry, like, for instance, I mean, like Robin, for instance, I mean, he he uses some effects. He's not going straight into his. He likes slapback now. Do his, yeah, he's he's doing some different things uh, right now. But now he's using, you know, the, the 59, which is what I got to the little Walter 59 with the 310 cabinet. Yes. Is that like a bandmaster by chance? Yeah, kind of, sort of. Yeah. 310 bandmaster. Well, me and Phil were talking about Well, no, it's, it, well, it's, a, it's a head cabinet. Uh, you know, well, I think great amps, by the way. I, yeah. Man, I think Phil Bradbury makes great amps. Um, and I don't know why I should buy one. Yeah. 
Uh, and I, I don't know, you know, if he's, if, if, is he on a big waiting list? I don't know. I don't know. It, it took, it took, it took me almost three months. Well, that's, that's not, that's not bad. That's not too bad. Yeah. No, well, I'm, I'm but first if, you, mate. if you do anything though, you want to get one of his three ten cabinets. Those okay. cabinets are just to die for. I mean, absolutely oh. great cabinets. Man, yeah. I, I about that, man. I know. But you gave me some, see, man, that's why I like doing these interviews. I get some <laughs> idea. The folks and the Brad uh, Bradbury's amp, uh, the little Walter. I think you know, you know, uh, Phil's from Kentucky. I guess you, you know that. Yeah, I knew that. Yeah, Phil's yeah. great. And I haven't talked to Phil lately, but I hope you don't I hope I do have some cars, but I there again, I don't most generally with the headhunters, I'm playing through Marshalls. But I'll yeah. tell you who's been really good to Phil is um Vince Gill. Yeah. Vince Gill has done a solid yeah. for him. Yeah. Yeah. Well, between Vince and, and Robin and a couple Rob, others, they really I, helped put him on the map. Does Robin ever take his Little Walter's on the road at all, or is he always taking the Dumble? I heard when he was here in town last time, I heard he had him here. So, okay. so yeah. And and I know that he was just with Phil not that long ago in Nashville going yes. through a bunch of different amps again because he's he's got a couple of different Little Walters, and that's all he's using now. He's not using his Dumble no more. So, well, but every, time, every time I've seen him, he's had his Dumble – one time, one time he had the Dumble with a four twelve Marshall cabinet, and then every other time it was his his head and his and his. Uh, but I'm sure it's got to be. I mean, if I owned an amp that was worth a hundred thousand dollars, I'm not so sure I'm going to take it on the road with me anywhere. I hear you, man. I, I, I know. that becomes a consideration. And there again, years ago when I called Dave Rogers, I thought, oh man, a Dumble for two thousand, and he said, yeah. no, Grant. It's 20. And I, I looked again. I'm going, oh, <laughs> I don't think they were ever too. <laughs> oh, my God. He sent it down to me. And I had it for I had it for three or four months. And he was so patient with me. And finally, we played somewhere in Wisconsin where either he drove over. I think he drove over like it was 30, 40 minutes away from lacrosse. And he picked it up then. But God, man, it, that was the one. But, but but I've heard I've heard the Fuchs and I've heard people play through them and mm-hmm. they sound really good. So they're good blues amps and good. Uh, you can do anything through it. Figured. Yeah, you can do anything through it. Uh, one of the things that I, that I always look for is I like a really clean platform. So if I decide I want to use pedals, sure. you know, I've got a great I've got a great thing. And that's one thing I could say about Andy's amps is that the clean platform is absolutely gorgeous, but when you start moving into the drive and that, it's it's really nice, really. Well, sweet. man, I have to that. Now the reverb is real good too, right? Yeah, yeah. Now is it digital? Digital uh, reverb? Yeah, I, I I believe so. Uh, well, I think it depends on which amp it is. I think on the overdrive, it might be uh, different. I mean, yeah, on the overdrive, I think on the the full house and the casino s- series. Okay. The blackjack and all that. I think it's it's digital. So and they that, all have, they all have a similar sound, similar kind of, kind of sorta. You know, I mean, the 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 overdrive is definitely distinct. You know, it's 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 more. I don't I don't know how to put it. It's 
I don't know. It's a different. It's a different beast than than. Uh, Would you go for a new one or a used one? Does it matter? Do you think they're any better new or are they all about the same? Or no, I think I think I don't think either way. You know, he makes great amps. Period. Yeah. You know, he just makes, makes great amps. Period. And I don't I don't use reverb. I'm not a reverb guy. I've always been one of those guys that I like to stack a little bit of delay, two or three delays. Or just minutes amount, you know, just enough to give you that reverb effect. Yeah. Without yeah. mushing up your sound or, yeah, you know. So I don't ever really use the reverb on it personally myself. Well, um, yeah, I, I know what you're saying. I, I don't normally use reverb because I've got Marshalls. I've been yeah. using ever on the road. He right. may add front a little echo or something. But, you know, uh, I've sometimes I'll, I'll use reverb. Here's a funny little story for you guys listening in. When Chet Atkins, he'd be in the studio, he said, would you turn the talent up? And he was be talking about reverb. Turn <laughs> <laughs> you more talent. <laughs> you more talent. Yeah, I, I'm just, I've never been a, a, a big fan of a lot of reverb. Although, you know, I saw, I saw uh, Stevie Ray Vaughan in 1982 at uh, Bessie's Boathouse in Hampton, Virginia. I was in the Navy. and uh, well, I, know I, what, I, I know that club. Is it right on the water? Yeah, it was right on the yeah, water. Yeah. And I played there in, uh, God, we played there in, maybe I think we played there around 91 or two. Yeah. It, it was a big old white building or something. Kind yep. of, yep. yeah, just, yeah, paint yeah. on. Yeah. It was an old boathouse. Exactly. It was called Bet Betsy's Betsy's or Bessie's Boathouse, and that he was there. He was opening up for Cheap Trick, and uh, I was in the Navy, and I was going down. I was going down to see Cheap Trick because I didn't even know who Steve Ray Vaughan was. And uh, well, of course, he he blew me away. Eighty-two or ninety-two. Eighty-two. Oh, eight, right. Eighty-two. No, yeah, this was when he was first coming out. We didn't play there till ninety-one. Okay. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Oh, what'd you think? Yeah. Uh, well, he was he was amazing, but he had so much reverb on his amp, you know what I mean? That I, I had a hard time with it in that, you know. I, I liked his sound as he went on through the years and he got more into the Marshall kind of, you know, when he started to use the Marshall more and he used the Dumble, used the combination of the Dumble and yeah. the Marshall and that and yeah, yeah, and stuff. But but I've never been a fan of the the big boomy reverb like that. I well, now there's some guys that just they use a lot of it you know i i like when i'm doing stuff here at the house i like to stick the the cabinet out in the garage and get ambience you know yeah, yeah. not a reverb but some ambience i like ambience a lot um i wish they could bottle that that sound i guess you can i'm sure that there's enough delays out there now you can probably grab it but yeah i saw stevie ray just once yeah, I saw him. Um, I saw the fabulous Thunderbirds opened up. Then let me think about this. BB King was on the show, but mm -hmm. I, I'm thinking Stevie Ray played then BB King, and at the end BB King brought out Jimmy and Stevie Ray. Yeah, and I, I don't think they even played guitar. I think they just had them talking to him, playing for him, and it was it was fabulous. And the, the night I went to see Stevie Ray, Billy Cox came out and played Voodoo Child with Stevie. Wow. Yeah, Billy Cox, man. They they did boots, tore it up. Yeah. Tore it up. Yeah. Well, wow. Stevie Ray was a great player. I mean, our our sound man, Steve Wilson, he was uh, Stevie Ray's guitar tech 
he took Cesar Diaz's place and he oh. was with BB for about a year, year and a half, maybe. And uh, he got me an autograph, man, then he got me an autograph the first night at Alpine Valley. Oh, really? I, I, it's not here. It, yeah. I've back here. Uh, it's over a friend's house right now. But uh, God, it's kind of spooky, really, because uh, Steve was walking behind him, said, uh, hey, uh, boss, uh, if you don't mind, tomorrow night, could you sign some album flats for some friends back home? Steve said, hey, let's do it now. Thank God he did, because you know yeah. what happened. Yeah, yeah. You know? And I, that's sad that he left us. He was such a, by all accounts, he was a great human being. Yeah. And you can feel that through his plan. You know, most, most definitely, most definitely. I, I have an autographed photo. Yeah. Good. From, from him. Yeah. It's, yeah. Did, I, you, did you get to meet him? Uh, yeah. One time. Yeah. I saw him, when I saw him, oh, he opened up for Joe Cocker at in St. Louis at that old theater. I forget what that theater's called now, but it's a big theater that they have downtown. Yeah. That's where I met him. And he was nice, wasn't he? Uh, super, super nice. Yeah. yeah. I heard I mean, I, I'm sure he had his times back when he was drinking. He may have had some, but I mean, I've everybody that I've talked to that knew him. It just it, we he was he was a year younger than me, and man, I know we we came up listening to the same stuff. I just regret never getting to meet the fella. Um, yeah. I've talked to Jimmy, and I'm sure you've talked to Jimmy a few times. And yeah, I've only talked to him once. I, He's a great guy, but yeah. I think he's regarded maybe, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But I love Jimmy too. I love both of them. Yeah. Um, love all of Texas guys, man. They know how to do it. Yeah. You know? I, I, I had uh, the first blues festival that I played at. I got to open up for Lonnie Mack. Oh, God. Know? Yeah. Lonnie. It was, Del it was Delbert McClinton and Lonnie Mack and Anson <laughs> Thunderbird and the Rockets. It was. Oh, I love Anson. Yeah. yeah. The Lonnie, who else did you say? Delbert, Delbert McClinton. Oh, yeah, I know all of them, man. Yeah. 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 But Lonnie Mack had some just some really cool Stevie Ray Vaughn stories, you know, because he spent time with Stevie and, you know, they recorded a couple of songs together and stuff like that. And uh, it was really cool. Man, yeah. I he missed. Lonnie Mack. I, 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 we had the, that was one of the albums we had at home in 63, 64. We had the Wham of that Memphis man. Oh, and yeah. my, my cousins, they would listen to that stuff. And it, I can't really play like Lonnie Mac. Uh, well, I mean, we, I can fake it, uh, but I love Lonnie Mac. And he played the yeah. headhunters a couple times. Um, he was a hoss, you yeah. know? Yeah, I like him. He's a great player. He's a great no, player. I love Hanson. Hanson Funderberg, yeah. Those are all good people. I yeah, tell you yeah. what, man, it, it, you know, it's uh, again, it's a pleasure to talk to somebody who's Thank passionate you. about music and the guitar yeah. and that, as I can tell you are. And it's been, uh, man, it's just been really, really cool. And I hope that when the headhunters get up to the Chicago area, maybe you I come, can come see you. You keep yeah. an eye on the schedule. Let us know. You yeah. come and see the, the good old boys. All shucks, come on in. <laughs> no, man, all you know, all the guys in the band. I've I've known Richard and Fred since 1968. We're like brothers. Yeah. Um, 
and our and my brother Doug Phelps, I've known since 1980, 81. When I, I started with Ronnie McDowell, I played with a country artist out of Nashville. He started the same day, and we we were we did an eight and a half years of Ronnie, but we had already put the headphones together. We were actually playing blues and R and eh, not really much R and B, but we were playing rockabilly and stuff like that. And it was just kind of an outlet. And of course it morphed into a career. So I, you know, yeah. come see us, man. It's, I think the band's playing as good as it has ever played, you know? Yeah. Well, I've seen some video footage because, you, you know, know, I'm connected to Boone and, you know, yes. the guys from the Georgia Thunderbolts and that, and those guys are always talking about you guys. So well, I, I get in touch, man. You got, you got my information. I do. You got my information. And uh, if you have any ideas for, the Fuchs, I need to check. Is it Fuchs or how do you pronounce yeah. it? Yeah, Fuchs. Fuchs. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and the Bradbury stuff, you let me know. Cause this year I probably will buy, I need to buy a couple more amps that are different flavors, you know? Yeah. And let me know. Let me know what you think is really good to check out. And um, of course, I know Phil, uh, I know Andy's pretty accessible, I think. So, yeah. but let's not. God, I've I've had you on here for. I know for, I, I don't ever get to do this. <laughs> you you want you want to know something? One time I woke up and it was an hour and forty five minutes later, and it was Frank Marino, and I said, Frank, I got to get off the phone. I it's love like, Frank. Got to stop. Oh, the guy won't stop, but he's I just absolutely God, love the Frank, conversation. I saw Frank play in nineteen seventy eight. Matter of fact, I met my wife at that show. She's upstairs. <laughs> she, she went to see Sticks. Oh yeah, I met finally met Tommy Shaw. If you, I, I guess you know all of the guys probably. Nah, I I really don't. I don't know Tommy. No, I don't know any of them. But I met Tommy. He's nice. Seemed like a nice fella. Uh, you know, I like Sticks. Good guitar team. Him and Jr. Jy is his name. Yeah, yeah. James Young. Um, I don't. I don't know. But anyway, Frank Marino. Yeah. Frank Marino. Yeah. yeah. But his conversation was an hour and 45 minutes. So, well, <laughs> man, uh, God yeah. bless you. You have a really good day. Okay. Yeah, good you too. Day. Thanks so much. Thank you, sir. Uh, take care. You. Okay. Right. Bye bye. All right, everybody. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Greg Martin. Man, what a great guy to talk to. You know what? I'm really excited. You know, we can't really announce anything yet, but later on this year, probably sometime in November, maybe early December, I'll be doing a show with Greg in uh, Kentucky. Uh, we'll be playing together out there to raise some money for guitars for vets. It's going to be a great cause. I want to thank Greg so much for participating in this show, I want to thank him for uh, his time because he was extremely gracious with it. And uh, I hope that you enjoyed it as much as I did. Until next week, I'm Jimmy Warren. Thanks for tuning in to Guitar Talk.